y'all this is it's finally here the conclusion of our pack 12 uh rivalry or, or roster review i mean here our roster review while the pa- first of all we're pretending like the pack 12 is one big happy family there is no <laughs> outside news that's right the 12 of us are all sticking together at least for some years and um you know we're not gonna look past that that's for, first off, okay? We're all happy. No, no one's abandoning ship like it's the Titanic or anything. Uh, no, yes. It, we got a big episode here because there's a lot of questions. This one is um, kind of the one... I, I, I dare to say this has frustrated Hithliday the most out of all of the roster reviews. Hithliday, is that fair to say? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, UCLA uh, in uh, the peak of professionalism two months after spring ball concluded still has not posted their official roster yet. Uh, It is very frustrating. Uh, Fortunately, we've got a great guest to help walk us through it. Maybe you can like email Chip Kelly and maybe I'll get on that to help the media out. I heard he's responsive to fans. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I saw him. (laughs) There's that one time when he told them to shut up or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, okay, we got a really awesome guest, uh, a guest who is a friend of No Truck Stops, uh, who's our friend, so already a friend. Uh, however, they've never been on this podcast, though we're very excited to have them on because we have been fans of UCLA B Team, the B Team podcast. Uh, that is a great Bruins, uh, you know, sports fan podcast. And uh, Bruins are pretty exciting. I mean, Chip Kelly is up to uh, some stuff, that's for sure. Um, the whole freaking program is on the move. They are now a Big Ten school. We don't, we're not talking about that. But, uh, you know, their basketball team is great. And so we're excited to talk to him because uh, hopefully we'll be talking, about, uh, talking to him more in the future about these Bruins. Talking about Michael Hannah. Uh, at Michael M. Hanna, H-A-N-N-A, on Twitter uh, of the B-Team podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well. Greetings from Big Ten country, guys. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be right there with you, um, taking those god-awful trips across country for to play the, Rutgers. The, the, I mean, the, that local Los Angeles-Piscataway rivalry that we've long treasured and revered in college football, I mean, that's what we live for. That's what we wake up on Saturdays for, right? Absolutely. I love corn. Um, so gotta get used I, to it, you know, you gotta, gotta <laughs> become a fan of corn, ethanol, all the byproducts, I hope uh, so. the corn syrup. Yeah. Just all of it. Yes. <laughs> you gotta I'll do eat, it, you know, I'll eat 10 years of the crap. If it means I get into the big 10, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Big whatever. The, um, but, but we're pretending <laughs> this didn't happen, right? No, 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 no. We're all one big happy family. The pac 12, as it always, you know, maybe we'll add more teams. Who knows? Uh, so Michael, I guess really quickly, cause I know we're on a little bit of a time crunch. I wanted to rapid fire. I'm going to try to s- recap the 2021 season as quick as possible so that we can get into this roster just to kind of set the scene here. Uh, so, and then at the end, you can kind of just th- really quickly just say a, a yay or nay, <laughs> how you felt about it. I don't know. Uh, so it was an eight, four overall season. Six and three uh, in conference play here. Um, there was almost a bowl game. We're kind of getting to that. 
so it started off 44 to 10 win versus Hawaii, a Hawaii that was just an absolute garbage fire, like really uh, even a wreck at that point. Um, uh, yeah, so there you go. Britton Brown, love the dude, had a big day. Uh, Zach Charbonnet as well. Um, then came the win that really added some momentum to this train. Uh, it really uh, got Chip Kelly kind of smirking. Um, 38 to 27 versus LSU. Uh, LSU, a team that actually wasn't all that good, but, you know, a season or two, you know, not far away off, two seasons off from winning the whole damn thing. And so it was a pretty big deal. And it was through UCLA's rushing game. So that kind of felt like, you know, like, ooh, okay. So Chip Kelly, has he figured some stuff out? Then an awesome game, a truly awesome game. Not if you're a Bruins fan, but a 37 to 40 loss versus Fresno State, Kalen DeBoer's Fresno State. I mean, we almost lost to him too. They were a damn good team. Um, number 13, UCLA at the time, loses in a back and forth crazy game um, in which Jay Kaner basically like gives his life to win that game. Uh, it was nuts. And then uh, at Stanford, a 35 to 24 win over Stanford. That's good. You got to get all those Stanford wins in as, as much as you can these next couple of years, you know. Uh, DTR four touchdown Kyle Phillips 111 yards damn on five receptions so big game awesome game then a loss to ASU no no 23 to 42 uh, UCLA fought for uh, 24 23 uh, ASU half time uh, but the Sun Devils went on an 18-0 run in the second and so UCLA just melts. Then a 34 to 16 win versus Arizona. Well, that's what you should do. They were very, very bad. Uh, kind of promising, but very bad. Uh, 24 to 17 winning win versus Washington. Hell yeah, out Washington. You know we got to applaud that. We love anytime they are embarrassed. What a wonderful season that was for the Huskies last year. Uh, a 31 to 34 loss to Oregon. Though it was pretty damn close. Like Ethan Garbers really almost pulled it off there. Um, yeah, it, it was a shame that there was the injury to the quarterback because uh, who knows? It, it, UCLA really could have won it. It was, I was sweating. I know that. Uh, 24 to 44 loss at Utah. No shame in losing to Utah. That's what we say on this podcast. No shame. Uh, you allowed 290 <laughs> rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns. Damn. Um, yeah, Ethan Garbers went 27, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so Colorado, you beat them 44 to 20, as you should. The, you know, not getting a big pat on the back for that one. 62 to 33 win over USC at USC. That is awesome. That was uh, fun to watch, actually. And that was Chip Kelly, really, just like cracking his neck, looking like the old Chip Kelly there. And then a 42-14 win versus Cal. So it's actually, I mean, it's pretty cool that you you beat all the Cal teams. You know, got to get them in, like we said. And then in true Chip Kelly form, kind of, he was kind of a dick, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> because he was, it seems like maybe there's a really late cancellation against NC State. I don't know. There was certainly some drama. Who knows? Who cares? It was a bowl game. Uh, but all that being said... It was an 8-4 season. It was the best season in the Kelly era uh, by far. What, what are your thoughts? It was a season that would have been really good as his second season. Mm. As his fourth season that he kind of built up an entire player cycle to, um, remaking the roster in his image and installing his preferred schemes on each side of the ball. 
to have a season where, yeah, you went, you went eight and four. I mean, it, it is a perfectly decent record, especially given UCLA's recent track record. I'm not going to deny that. But given the circumstances of a historically weak Pac-12 and not a single win against a winning t- a team with a winning record, a, a schedule that soft, it's almost it's not to be expected, but it's not something where I'm going to be giddy about the fact that Chip is turning the corner. He wasn't able to leverage it into a real recruiting class of any merit, had brought in only 11 high school signees, had more transfers coming in than high school signees. Like it, it's it, it, to me, it was a bit hollow. Um, it earned him a minor extension. He got rolled over for two more seasons, basically on the contract that he has right now. But it wasn't something that made me think, okay, our our you know golden era under Chip is coming. He laid the foundation, and now things are about to take off in the way that you would have expected when UCLA hired a name like Chip Kelly. Um, it, it it that doesn't seem to be on the table for me with the way that the roster is shaping up this upcoming season. Um, schedule is a little bit soft, like last season, but it doesn't feel like they're going to be able to leverage it into much if they continue the recruiting philosophy and especially defensive scheming the way that they have. So um, it's cool to win eight games in a season, especially where UCLA is coming from, but it felt a bit hollow to me, but I'm a bit more on the cynical side as far as Bruin fans. There's a very stark divide between the people who are out on chip and the ones who are kind of retaining a little bit of faith. You guys can probably figure out which way that I lean on that. Mm -hmm. There's other podcasters that you can talk to who are a little bit more optimistic. Um, I I come at it from a big picture sense of can they build on even if it was a bit of a hollow eight and four, can they build on it and turn it into something more? And the lack of recruiting prowess and a very uninspiring defensive coordinator hire kind of took away any hope I had that they would be able to flip that into something more. But we'll see. I, I'm not saying that it's impossible that they win 10 games this season, given their schedule. And then, you know, that they, it, they just kind of recruit themselves at that point. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that it would require a whole, a, a very, very fine threading of the needle at this point. Like the margin for error is almost gone as far as Chip Kelly turning this uh, UCLA program into a consistent high level winner. Yeah. I got to agree with that assessment. Like, I don't think this became, this went from uh, the bad team that Chip Kelly was coaching for the last first several years to a good team. I think it went from like to a bad team to an average team where they, you know, like you said, they, they beat eight teams who all had losing records. Like they're combined, the combined win record, win loss record of those eight teams is 33 and 65. Like th- those were bad teams. Um, uh, and, and the, you know, the four teams that they lost to were 38 and 16, you know, uh, you know, they, in other words, they, they beat bad teams and they lost to good teams, you know, like that's how you define what an average team is. Right. Like, um, and, uh, you know, it's borne out in the advanced statistics, borne out in my, you know, I chart all the games and it's borne out in my tally sheet. Like they turn in very like sort of mediocre numbers. Um, the thing that's, uh, t- to me, the thing that was most remarkable was the quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, you can sort of trace, uh, so, you know, some of the problems that they had to injuries that, that he would take, uh, to, you know, which is sort of no surprise. I don't think he's gone through a single year in which he didn't miss, you know, a significant amount of playing time with an injury. Um, uh, but in the games in which he's on, like at the end of the Oregon game, I'm obviously that one stands out in my memory, but I feel like anybody who watched it, like that dude, like 
you know, Oregon was up by what, like 34 points at one point in that game. And like, it was by Dorian Thompson Robinson's will alone that they got that to within 14. You know what I mean? Like, you know, before he went out, um, like I, I, to tell you the truth, you know, you know, I've been watching this guy for like four years. I'd never quite been, you know, that impressed with him, but like the dude's tenacity is kind of awesome. Right. Like, Oh, he is um, Dorian Thompson Robinson for all his flaws, um, for all the inexperience he came in with as a quarterback, being as raw as he was, not really getting too many reps at Bishop Gorman before he showed up at UCLA. Um, he is an absolute warrior. He will put himself on the line to win a football game. Um, it's not just the Oregon game that he showed that it was the Fresno State game. Um uh, the Stanford game where Stanford rallied. Um, it, it was Ron Thompson Robinson who got injured in that game and was having a pretty poor performance as far as accuracy, who kind of just was able to grit it together at the end, hit a long bomb to Kyle Phillips and kind of get the ball rolling again with that one. Like there were multiple performances last season where he was a little bit up and down, but you would never question his heart and always the good kind of outshone the bad. Um, I'm, I'm a full-fledged DTR fan at this point. Um, there were, He had his ups and downs as an underclassman. He showed a decently sized leap as a junior. He struggled a little bit in the early goings against uh, Hawaii and LSU, even though those were comfortable wins because of the ground game. But from that Fresno State game on, when he was healthy, he was a crucial aspect in any success that UCLA had. And no, I'm, I'm among the criticisms I've had uh, just to start this podcast and that you'll hear um, going forward with our larger discussion. Um, one thing that I will say that is a positive is that I get to see DTR for one more season as UCLA quarterback, and that's going to be cool. I mean, yeah, first of all, he's going to set a record, you know, in terms of all the records, started. just all the records, you know, set not just a UCLA seasons, record, yeah. like I'm pretty sure an NCAA record, you know, even though, yep. like I said, he'd missed some, some games, you know, to injury, like nobody starts for five seasons and doesn't set a record. I, I, in my opinion, he's the number one asset that this team has, um, like Agreed. period. And like number two, I think is pretty far away. Like number two might be Chip Kelly's brain. And that one is a problematic one. Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know. The, the the dude's playbook changes every week. Uh, you know, that's the thing that just makes me tear my hair out as it would like any, you know, film student. Like it's, you know, it actually is pretty remarkable. The offense is able to execute as well as it does, um, given that the, like they got to learn a new playbook every week that Chip Kelly's like thrown at him. It's kind of like, you know, in multiple games and in, in over multiple years that I've been watching Chip Kelly at UCLA, it's just like, oh, you designed uh, an entirely new offense for this game to to screw with that team and it works for a half and then the second half you know they shut them down you know because it's like okay this isn't a surprise anymore um and it's like boy you know and you know who the guy who's you know the signal caller on all those is dorian thompson robinson you know i think the other thing about him is that like one of the big problems that you had to have with the guy was the you know the crazy fumbles right where the ball just like would pop oh yeah out of his hand <laughs> yeah. and it's like even if no other aspect of his game improved and I think some of them have. I, I think his trajectory has been kind of flat, but like, you know, sort of incremental every year. But if you are starting quarterback for five years, you know, incremental every year can get you a pretty good spot by the end of it. Um, but if nothing else improves except that he quits like sticking his hand in Vaseline before picking up the football <laughs> every time, you know, which seemed to be the case last year. It's I, I only counted two in the whole year where the ball just randomly popped out of his hand um, unless I missed one. Uh, was one of the Colorado game, and then I yeah, I, I one of the Colorado, one of the Fresno game. Um, okay. where it was just like, what the hell was that? You know, yeah. like, oh, there it is. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. That, that's my take on the guy. I, I think the, the trajectory has been a little flat, but he has at least cleaned up the most maddening thing, which was the random fumbles. Do you, do you have a different take? No, not at all. Uh, no, I think DTR is a a decided asset at this point for UCLA's mm-hmm. offense. Um, uh, he is kind of the straw that stirs the drink and will have to be this season with the offensive line becoming a little bit weaker. I know that we're going to get into that. Yeah. I, I actually, you mind if I flip if you asked, you brought up a very good point that I, I just have to ask you guys for my own curiosity. What I perceived of Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon was that he was the guy who had mastered the idea of efficiency. We're going to have like five, six, seven plays. Oh, yeah. We're just going to learn them so well and be so good at them that you cannot possibly out-execute us at what we it's, do. Was that is that the, on, the, the right perception? On, on my charts, it's eight basic plays, uh, each of which has three to four variations. Um, you know, like, you know, flip the field, you know, sometimes you'll do it to the boundary, sometimes with the field. Um, and then like uh, another, like half dozen or so, like, oh, we're only going to run this once a game, but it's just sort of the mess with you. Um, but yes, that, that is a pro and, and most teams have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30. So his was his playbook at Oregon was about half the size of most teams. That is a, uh, a you know, a correct perception. And then when I charted out at UCLA, it's, he's, it's closer to 45 plays over the course of a year. So like, you know, about half again, as many as the average team does, which is like, you know, so he goes from an outlier on one end of the bell curve to an outlier on the other end of the bell curve. It's, it was bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, Can can we curse on this podcast? Yeah. Only cool kids are allowed to listen to this podcast. So yeah. Absolutely encourage it. Okay. What the fuck is wrong with him? God damn it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, my, you know, I, I had to listen to his press conferences for four years. I, I'm, uh, you have too. Like, doesn't he strike you as one of those people who's, who's convinced he's a genius? Like, oh, 100% he is. But yeah. it, it, on some level, I can see it because he can, he can draw blood from a stone as far as uh, creating a run game is concerned. I'll always give him that. It's, it's actually remarkable what he can do with a run game with given enough time and enough time, uh, enough, I don't know, brain capacity, room to like scheme in his brain. But at the same time, he is that guy who outthinks himself on like 50 different kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. just, it just, it is encouraging to see when it's humming like it did in that LSU game. And when you feel like he's in a rhythm and he has the other guy's number. And then when it's not working, it's just, why don't you stick to what works? What are you doing here? Why did you need to go galaxy brain? So it, it is a complete pendulum swing. Possibly, honestly, for maybe even from drive to drive, I was going to say quarter to yeah. quarter game to game, but drive to drive, play to play drives me nuts. Uh, it is well, might uh, to the quarterbacks. Uh, if yes. uh, Doreen Thompson Robinson is unavailable, which don't say that can't happen because it of happens course. a couple of times every year. Um, looks like both Parker McQuarrie and uh, Kajaya Halloween have left the program. Uh, I think those guys have both transferred out, correct? Um, uh, McQuarrie was a four star, I kind of had some hopes for him, um, but we never just never saw him. Um, the the backup in 2020 was Chase Griffin. Uh, we saw him play against Oregon. Um, I, I actually kind of liked him, although it was sort of clear he had some athletic limitations. Um, and the backup that they went with in 2021 when DTR was unavailable against Utah was Ethan Garbers, um, who was another four-star he had transferred from Washington. Uh, that didn't go real great. Um, I think he was playing Utah. Um, what do you think about those guys, the backups, who, who do you think would, would be the number two? Um, and, and is there any possibility that we see the, uh, the, the four-star freshman coming in in the fall, Justin Martin? 
Uh, Martin's a project. Martin is kind of the opposite of Griffin, where he's all tools, but he needs to kind of learn the quarterback position. Right. Griffin is, if you gave Chase Griffin, Dorian Thompson, Robinson's athletic ability, you would have like Michael Vick, basically. Like yeah, no. Griffin is. I, he, I, I liked I him a lot. If only he could, if he could, if he could put the ball downfield, you know, more than about twenty yards, he'd be a That's, real dangerous quarterback. Um, therein lies the problem. Yep. Yeah. But um, it, it, it'll be Garbers as the backup. Um, he was kind of established last year as the heir apparent. Um. This offseason, that got a little bit turbulent because when they thought DTR was leaving, they actually recruited Dylan Gabriel from UCF, um, and he had com- he committed to UCLA before flipping to Oklahoma, ultimately to follow Jeff Levy there. Um, DTR thankfully came back, but when you recruit over the heir apparent, it makes you think that they don't have that much faith in the heir apparent. That's just how I perceive that kind of a thing. But I think that because of Griffin's physical limitations, if for no other reason, it would be Ethan Garbers who spells DTR in the event in the likely, unfortunately event of uh, DTR missing time because he's throwing his body out there. So um, the the depth chart is going to most like overwhelmingly likely go DTR Garbers Griffin one, two, three. And Martin is going to kind of marinate this, uh, this season. If, uh, okay, I don't, I'm not going to tell you the opponent. You, you It's going to be a random opponent. DTR is out. Is okay. UCLA going to lose the game? Uh, I mean, <laughs> that is completely opponent dependent, unfortunately. I mean, if it's Alabama State, sure. Uh, or UCLA is going to win. But if it's Oregon or Utah, no, they're not. So um, I think that right now, um, given his limited amount of reps, it's hard to have faith that he is something more than a capable pair of hands against a UCLA, uh, an opponent, opponent that UCLA can out talent, um, against, a, uh, against like a Washington, even coming off of a down season and with a new coach that strikes me as like a 50, 50 proposition against Utah. It's a zero 100 proposition. And then against Oregon, like, I don't know, 1585, like that kind of a deal. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a sliding scale with uh, Garbers and, and that's just based on what we saw last season. He might very well have made a leap this off season that invalidates any faith that they'd lost in him. I, it's hard to know with the backup, but he is a guy who came in with a good pedigree, um, a mid four star guy, a 0.95 rating from 24 sevens composite rating like he's a guy who came in with a decent pedigree to washington before he transferred to ucla yeah, so he was some quarterback though I yeah, mean, yeah you think he's tainted okay. well i mean the only successful one the only successful washington quarterbacks are the ones who leave so maybe they turned jake browning somehow from a precision passer in high school into a glorified running back by his senior mm-hmm. year of college that was interesting but um anywho that's neither uh, here nor let's there. talk about the actual running backs um yep. So not a lot of questions here. Zach Charbonnet returns. He was uh, one of, if not the best back in the conference uh, last year. Uh, you know, I'm, this is sort of the Anna Karenina principle. I don't have any questions about him because he's an ideal uh, running back. Let's yep. talk about the other guys. Um, Keegan Jones, uh, I believe, was a walk-on. Um, uh, uh, he was got- a late offer. Um, like in the spring after, or like the, when he was graduating, everyone else had signed. He kind of emerged like two months after that. I think UCLA had him commit like in April of 2019 or 2018 or something like that. He actually had an offer from Michigan and from Baylor at that time. So um, he, he was a scholarship guy from the beginning, but it was like one of those flyers they took based on just pure track speed. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, yep. It's just remarkable because it's like, you know, Charbonnet had over 1,100 
yards last year. Jones had 66. Um, mm. And he's the only returner with any experience because both Britton Brown and Ethan Fernea, who is like sometimes he's running back, sometimes he's a, a, a wide receiver. Uh, I don't have Br- Brown or Fernea still on the roster, right? Like both of those guys uh, were 26. Brown got round. drafted by the Raiders and Fernea, right. I believe, is on a he is on some sort of training camp deal for the Cowboys, I want to say. Right. Good for them. Yep. So what is, you know, when Charbonnet needs to get some Gatorade, who's carrying the ball? Uh, I really can't figure it out. Like, yeah, I can't tell if Brian Cowell is still on the team. He was a walk-on. Uh, I, I don't know anything about Deshaun Merle or uh, Christian Grubb. Uh, those guys were uh, three stars uh, who came in in recent years, but uh, I don't believe carried the ball. And they took one, you know, as you said at the top, Chip Kelly has not, this is a very small class. There's usually just one or even zero recruits at most positions. One one of them is the running back position where they only took one to Marion Harden and he's, you know, a mid three stars not coming in until the spring. So like, I don't know who carries the ball if Charbonnet, you know, is unavailable or just needs to take a breather. How do you see how this goes down? Um, it's going to, it's going to be a battle between Morell and Jones. In my opinion, Grubb is kind of a change of pace guy who really projects more as a kind of backup returner on special teams on this, at this point. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't see him getting much run as far as, uh, carries out of the backfield. Um, it's going to really be down to Keegan Jones or Morell, unless Harden just shows that he's just, um, way more advanced than anyone expected coming into UCLA, which would be, you know, obviously a nice surprise. Uh, Morell is not a true speedster necessarily he's the guy who is expected based on his high school film to be a little bit more savvier kind of spotting the open hole and getting you five to seven yards of pop versus jones who is pure track star speed you get him in space he'll dust people but he's not the guy who's going to pick the right hole at ucla fans are yeah, kind of he's know pretty that. small right I yeah he's like buck 75 and uh, yeah exactly so i mean a guy um, that fast who's yeah. only a two-star out of high school like yeah that's you know that that about adds up like um, <laughs> um wait what, what was la michael james when he came out of texas was he a three-star uh, he was a high three star uh, oh, okay. rated okay. as a four star in some services. Um, gotcha. okay. Of course, the services weren't real relevant to Chip Kelly. So no, <laughs> never have been, never will be. Um, I, I mean, I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on the, on the running back situation, you yep. know, like, you know, it's great to have Charbonnet if Charbonnet's unavailable for whatever reason, you know, thankfully he seems to, I, I don't think he's missed any games either at Michigan or UCLA. Um, so he seems to be pretty injury resistant, but you know, never say never uh you know i'd be I was gonna really say my worried. friend don't jinx that don't jinx that yeah for no me. sorry don't about that, that. Yeah, you're uh good. I, I i'd be really worried i'd be I, i'd want to wrap zach charbonnet in bubble wrap because as you said like most of chip kelly's offense is going through the running back and it looks like they kind of only have one at this point yeah i i think that that's going to be one of the major things that they need to sort out during their um their uh, i don't know their their cotton candy walk of a uh non-conference <laughs> schedule this year. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on that, but in those first three games, uh, sorting out the running back and we're going to discuss offensive line, offensive tackle specifically in a moment. I think those are the two positions where they're just going to have to be basically running tryouts against overmatched opponents because they're yeah. going to need to have some sort of plan ready for when the schedule does ramp up. Tight ends. Losing Greg Dulcich, a, notably a former walk-on uh, now in the NFL. Uh, we'll see how he does. Uh, um, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I never really thought much of that guy as a blocker, but like Chip Kelly's offense, you know, I, I believe that I had charted several plays in which 
the entire play the whole point of the play was to get Dulcich open and that like everybody else was non-viable or you know they, they were decoys or whatever like you know that was it that guy was you know tall and and caught engineered balls and i'm not trying to throw shade on his future nfl prospects it was just like i think that chip kelly wants to have a figure like that um uh, in his offense and i'm not sure where you find it uh for the guys who are coming back um there's michael Ezekiel, uh who caught a couple of balls uh last year um i gotta be honest i've never been wild about that guy's hands do you think i'm making that up or what do you think no 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 that was his criticism coming out of high school and that was one of the reasons people projected him as a tight end more than as a wide receiver uh he tried to stubbornly stick with wide receiver for a while before eventually switching to tight end and it looks like that's going to be the thing that earns him some regular playing time but i mean i mean to further bolster your point to be fair um chip kelly's offense i mean it has churned out two things or three things consistently running backs uh tight ends and kyle phillips those are the yeah. three things that have really shown in a UCLA offense under Chip Kelly so far. I mean, if you go back to Chip's first couple of seasons, um, it was Caleb Wilson, then it was uh, Devin Asiasi, and then it was the last two years of Greg Dulcich. Like the tight end is a glamour position in this offense, and it, it looks like it's going to be split two ways. I, I, I might be stepping on toes here, but Ezekiel, it looks like it's going to be the pass catcher, and Michael Martinez is going to be more the des- designated blocker who works. I'm in surprised with a few that guy is in situations. You're right that we're going to talk. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with this, that, you know, if offensive line tryouts are going into conference play, they might want to think about Mike Martinez Um, because he's almost he refuses. That's the problem. Um, He's the best blocking tight end in the conference. It's not even close, but he just won't entertain it. uh, That's one take. Uh, What about David Preby? Um. David Preby is somebody who has kind of been marinating behind kind of the conveyor belt these last few seasons. And he actually was one of the surprises of spring ball this year, him and uh, Hudson uh, Habermel. Uh, those two guys um, came in, I believe in chips as part of chips first recruiting class, Habermel as a walk on Preby as a uh, three-star uh, recruit out of, I want to say Waco, Texas or near Waco, Texas. And Preby actually played very well during spring ball, according to most reports. So it seems like tight end is going to go from a position where there's a lot of question marks to a position where one of these guys is going to emerge just because the offense is designed to make one of these guys emerge, essentially. I definitely agree with you on that last bit. Like, I think that Chip Kelly, you know, engineers stuff to the tight end. I've been watching that for way too long to have any other take, you know, both at Oregon and UCLA. It's just like, I haven't really seen any of these guys' hands before. And the one guy whose hands I have seen is ZK's, and I wasn't wild about them. I, you know, I haven't really seen Preview or Habermill. Uh, the other two guys, there's uh, actually a couple of four-star true freshmen. Um, yes. I, I believe that Jack Pedersen had was available in the spring, but Carson Ryan doesn't arrive until the fall. Do I have that right? Flip that. Oh, flip it. Okay. Yep. Uh, um, the uh, what did you think about Ryan then? If you got some chance to read about him in spring, the, the reports coming out at Carson about Carson Ryan were very good, but it just seems like um, there is a um, unless he is just kind of head and shoulders like, wow, he pops. It seems like he's going to be stuck behind a few upperclassmen this season. But after this mm-hmm. season, Ezekiel goes, Habermel goes, Martinez possibly goes if he just doesn't think he's going to get any run as a pass catching tight end. Uh, at that point, you know, it clears up quite a bit. And Chip Preby goes not- too. I think he's a 2018 as well. He um I, he's a redshirt junior right now. I had I think there's a chance he might stick around if he thinks that there's a chance he starts next season and chip is. I guess he would have there. one left because 2020 yep. doesn't count. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but Chip does has shown that he will go four deep with his tight end position, um in his in his first four seasons at UCLA. So it's not impossible that you see a 
I'm not going to say a ton of Ryan and or Peterson, but enough to kind of remind you that they exist even as true freshmen. I don't think it's impossible in the slightest. So even though this is a position in which it has, I mean, I'm not kidding about this. There are three returning receptions um, Mm -hmm. and, and the tight end, like, you know, was a major figure in the offense last year. You're, you're willing to take this one on faith. You think somebody out of Ziki Preby and the two freshmen will emerge as and or Habermill to walk on, you know, somebody in those five will emerge as the next, you know, Dulcich type of guy. Um, Dulcich was faster and had better hands than any of the guys on this roster. So I think that Dulcich and Caleb Wilson were a bit of unique kind of pass catching threats compared to what's on the roster right now, but somebody who's a perfectly functional to even very good PAC 12 tight end. I think that UCLA will get that level of play out of somebody for sure. On that level, on the Dulcich level, I'm not willing to go quite there yet. Ezekiel is an athletic freak, but it's going to be about his hands more than anything else. I completely agree with you on that. If his hands are good, he is very playable, and he's a weapon at that point. But it's really just going to be about his consistency with his hands. Okay, uh, let's go with the inside wide receivers. It seems fairly clear that Chip Kelly likes to split up the inside and the outside guys. Yes. Um, As you mentioned, losing Kyle Phillips, um, who was kind of a do-it-all guy for them. um, Yep. That that's another one where I sort of feel where I agree with your assessment that that's Chip Kelly stuff. Like he's engineering, like like Chip Kelly does stuff, and the end product is that Dulcich or Phillips is open. And again, that's not me trying to like throw shade, you know, at Phillips. You know, it, it's just like, you know, Chip Kelly wants a guy to be that. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that Casimir Allen, the converted running back, is that is the new guy for that. What do you think? It's going to be either Casimir Allen or Logan Loya. Logan Loya, his the, the book on him coming out of high school, um, uh, he was at Orange Lutheran and then transferred to St. John Bosco, I believe. Um, the, the, the book on him coming out of high school was that the comp was Kyle Phillips. So um, he was a slot guy who was a very good special teamer as well in terms of returning kicks and punts. So he might be kind of tailor-made for it, but Kaz Allen just kind of popped off towards the end of last season in a way that – it. it, it you can't deny that kind of a weapon. So I think that it's going to right now, my instinct is that it'll split 65, 35 towards Cavs, but it could be even more 55, 45, to be honest. Why do you only get two catches last year? Cavs Allen or Logan Loya? Logan Loya. I mean, Uh, he was behind both Casimir Allen, Kyle Phillips and Josiah Norwood, who was a walk on. I assume related to the safeties coach. Uh, no, no. Uh, Norwood actually joined the program before uh, Brian Norwood did. I, oh, I really? think he's a, yeah, I think he's a local kid from, oh, gosh, I want to say he's from Inglewood or something like that. Oh. I can, Are I they actually, related or is it just like total coincidence? I think it's a total coincidence because Brian oh. Norwood's originally from Hawaii. Yeah, Josiah Norwood's, oh, he's from my neck of the woods. He's from Rancho Santa Margarita. I live like 10 minutes away from where he went to high school. Okay, oh, well, go ask cool. him. Yeah, I should, right? <laughs> but um, no, uh, Norwood got a lot of run because he definitely earned the trust of Jerry Neuheisel with his consistency during practice. Uh, they have made the wide receiver position a bit of one that incorporates seniority, and I don't think that's on, it's on purpose. I think it's because that they, they ask a lot out of wide receivers from a blocking perspective, as you guys know from a Trip Kelly offense at Oregon. Mm-hmm. The receivers are tasked very much with uh, blocking responsibilities. Yeah, no block, no rock, baby. It, Yep, exactly. And so I think it was because Norwood was a more willing blocker than Loya. And if he's made strides in that regard, that obviously you guys saw with Kyle Phillips, one of the main strengths that he brought to the table amongst the many that he had was that he was a guy who was just, you know, he was so uh, energetic. Not the right. He had, I hate this saying, but I'm just going to say it because I literally cannot think of anything else with my brain functioning the way that it is right now. He had enough dog in him. I'll pause mm-hmm. for a moment. I so you love guys it. Can, yeah. 
yeah, he had enough dog in him. That he actually was kind of like like a bit of a heat seeking missile as far as blocking. Everybody remembers the pancake that he put on uh, the number three pick in the draft at LSU Stingley uh, in the LSU game to spring. I, I think was it Kaz Allen on a long catch? Was it uh, Dulcich? I forget who it was. Um, it might have even been Charbonnet actually. But regardless, um, yeah. Uh, he absolutely rocked Derek Stingley on a play. Um, Logan Loya, I don't think is there yet as a blocker. I'm not sure who is, to be quite honest, but I think that's going to come into consideration just as much as the pass catching ability because they do definitely value that. Um, I don't need to tell Oregon fans that. That's something that they already no, I'm know. I'm sure. I mean, that was going to be my question is is whether I should infer from your comments that Logan Loya was unwilling or unable to block last year. Um, I wouldn't say unwilling. I, I, it might be it might be needed development. I, I don't know that he'd ever be considered unwilling because he's just one of those. And again, again, not going into like stereotypes and cliches for a white, right? receiver, white, white, wide receiver, but just like, you know, does he have a chip on his shoulder? Chip on his him? shoulder, deceptively fast. Like all that <laughs> stuff has stuck to him in terms of the, like the reports you read and all this kind of stuff. One guy you want to watch out for in terms of potential game breaking ability as far as slot is going to be uh, Titus Mokiao uh, Atimalala, uh, the transfer from uh, UCF who came by way oh, of. Oh, I had uh, him wide is an outside guy he's you, you think he's gonna play inside i think they tried him out at both spots uh during spring practice and i think given his speed and the way that the chip offense likes to exploit seams rather than the outside to get up the field vertically mm-hmm. um especially on four verts um titus could be a serious weapon especially in lieu of kaz allen if you want just track trackster after trackster kind of taking turns that's the way you get that done uh all right. Well, the the uh, the four other or the three other uh, guys who I had who are incoming, who I had tabbed as outside wide receivers, and maybe you think I'm wrong. So let me talk about them before we get off the inside guys. Are uh, Jake Bobo? That guy's got to be outside. He's six five. One hundred percent. And then two freshmen, uh, Jaden Marshall and Braden Pegan. Uh, Pegan, yeah. Uh, I have both of those guys as outside. Pegan is six four. What about Marshall? Marshall is a guy who's coming in with a great track background. Um, he was an outside guy in high school. It's really just going to, I think that they're yeah, going to try I pulled him up his outside. huddle film. He was lining up at outside, which is why I yeah, had yeah. a tab there. On the other hand, he's only six one. you know, you could play him on the inside if you want. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he's just one of those guys that I think they're going to go the Titus route with him where they're just going to kind of try and see where he goes. I think he's going to start right. outside the way the Titus did, and then he's going to work in. Um, they are good enough as far as the two deep at wide receiver that I think that Jaden Marshall is going to be a development guy this season before kind of starting to come into his own as a sophomore elite hurdle speed. Um, Not quite Devin Allen, but you know, I'm not, but pretty damn good as far as where he registered in the state of California. So um, he's somebody I'm definitely looking forward to watching as far as uh, uh, the recruits that they brought in, the high school recruits that they brought in. Uh, Pegan is definitely going to be a guy that they uh, stash and develop this season. Uh, I can't see much run for him. Uh, And then uh, uh, Jake Bobo is an outside guy for sure. And he's probably the Chase Coda replacement. Uh, yeah, right. So the departures here, Chase Coda transferred to Oregon. Uh, Keontas Lewis transferred somewhere. Uh, uh, Wisconsin, and, I believe. Yeah. And then, uh, Dellen Hurt is in jail, I think. Um, uh, he is pending arraignment or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. He has his uh, legal issues. Um, he is no longer part of the program, but I don't think they kicked him out of school. I think I've talked to people who say that they still see him going to class. So, um, it's one uh, of those deals. All right. All right. I'm not expecting him to play. Are you? Uh, no, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Just fleshing so, it out. But no, he's not playing. So the, there's four departures in the wide receiver room is what yep. I'm saying is yes. Coda, Lewis, Hurt, and Phillips. And there's yes. nobody else. 
Uh, not that I can recall. Okay. Uh, we talked about the inside guys. Uh, we talked a little bit about Bobo who transferred from Duke. Um, he had 74 catches last year. You know, I imagine there's your, you know, your go-to outside guy. Um, the, uh, um, they they return, you know, some other outside guys, but, you know, I, I totally think that you're right about the way that, you know, Chip Kelly just doesn't, he wants to throw the ball to the inside, not the outside. Like, you know, like the outside guys are sort of like, like I was saying about Dulcich earlier, like are kind of decoys, you know, and uh, if that were not the case, I definitely would have expected a guy like Cam Brown um, or Matt Sykes, to, you know, to be getting more catches last year, or, you know, I know that Colson Yankoff and Xavier Staples were injured, you know, and are sort of young and, and, but, you know, Yankoff's a converted quarterback from Washington, you know, get used to saying that, um, yep. <laughs> but, you know, like these guys just weren't getting the ball, you know, at all last right. year. It was, it was all going to, you know, Coda and Phillips. And if it wasn't going to Coda and Phillips or Dulcich, it was going to Casimir Allen, you know, it was like, you know, it, 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 it was either Coda or it was going to an, a guy who lines up not on the sidelines, you know, like that's just the nature of, uh, you know, what Chip Kelly wants to do. Um, do you think that that, you know, I don't know. Bobo makes me think that he's got some other tools that Coda might not have. Do you think that's going to change at all? Or what do you think? I actually, I've, I don't want to see this, but I do want to see this in a sense. Like I've just a morbid curiosity about it. I think we'll see in the non-conference how much of that is down to chip versus DTR. Because one of the things that stood out to me during the, the time that Ethan Garbers was in was that he actually looked a little bit more outside than DTR did. So I'm curious whether the, I I am 90 percent sure that it's a chip design kind of a thing, but it may well be something where DTR has a little bit of kind of tunnel vision as far as wanting to lock in on the seams and not wanting to kind of really go to the sidelines. Um, he, I will say this about DTR. DTR has more of his guys than Ethan Garbers did when Garbers was on the field. Coda got had more receptions. Cam Brown had more receptions. Sykes got a little bit more run. I'm not saying he ignored Phillips or Dulcich by any stretch of the imagination, but he spread the ball a little bit more around than DTR did. DTR, hmm. you usually knew that it was going to be one of three guys, and it was just if it wasn't those three guys, three guys, it was window dressing. Well, um, whether so it's, I'm, I, I mean, if it's if, DTR or Kelly, kind of doesn't matter. Neither of the yeah. guys are going anywhere in 2022. So, like, oh, oh no, I, that what I'm saying right now is just a pure thought exercise. If DTR is on the field, I think that it's going to be the exact same thing in terms of it's going to be. Um, Cam Brown started to come on a little bit towards the end of last season. He had a couple big catches against USC, if I remember correctly. Um, Who didn't? Yeah, well, yeah, fair, fair comment there. Um, uh, I think Bobo does replace Coda and what Coda brought to the table. Um, but as far as outside inside split, um, I think it's going to lean more inside as long as DTR is on the field, and then probably even when Garbers is on the field. But regardless, mm -hmm. I think that the guys that DTR is going to be looking for on the outside will be either Bobo or Brown. I think that. Bobo has more of the Coda-ish qualities that he might end up just usurping Brown, which would kind of suck for Cam Brown because he committed to UCLA uh, as a transfer from Texas A&M wanting to play with DTR because he said that was one of the drawing cards for him coming from a bit of a quarterless, quarterbackless program under Kellen Mond and then last season, whoever that rotating door of quarterbacks they had at, uh, in, with Aggies was last season. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to lean more inside. If it's outside, it's either going to be Brown, Bobo, or Bust, essentially. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll put it this way, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that this offense has given me any reason to think that Brown or Sykes or Yankoff are better than I think they are. Uh, do you think I'm wrong about that? Brown is the only one that I think there's a chance he might have a higher ceiling, but that's just based on high school rating, to be honest with you. Um, uh, beyond that, I think you're right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the offensive line. 
Yep, let's do Oh, oh, that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> so, uh, uh, losing both of the tackles, Sean Ryan and Alec Anderson. Yep. Um, also losing one of the guards. There's, you know, sort of a five-man rotation of the various guard positions last year. Um, one of them, Paul Graton, who I think you make an argument was the best of them. Um, yes. Uh, so, those are three pretty significant departures. Um, bringing back... Uh, well, Antonio Mafi, the converted defensive lineman, um, who is uh, just, well, he's too big, uh, which means he's good <laughs> at some kind of blocking and he's bad at other kinds of blocking. Um, yeah. But if you put him in for the kinds of blocks that are he's good at, you can't move him. Um, and then returning the three guys who at one point or another snapped the ball, Duke Clemens, uh, Sam Razzo, and John Gaines. Uh, do I have those those four returners correct? You do. You do indeed. Um, I, I don't think any of these guys can kick out to tackle, do you? Um, they, I think, I think they gave Gaines a cup of coffee at right tackle a couple of seasons ago in spring ball. And it just was a non-starter Yeah, uh, beyond yeah. that. There's no chance. So, I mean, it seems fairly clear that they'll, you know, they'll just do what they have been doing at, at guard. You know, they've got four guys to play three positions. I'm sure they'll, they'll be fine there. I'm sure they'll survive the loss of Graton. Um, it might be a step back. Cause like I said, I think I like Graton more than these other guys. I mean, it's, None of them are super talented, right? Both Graton and Marazzo are both walk-ons. The rest of the guys are mid three stars. Um, one of them is a converted defensive lineman. Uh, yep. You know, like on the other hand, they're running Chip Kelly's offense, which changes every week, and they've got to you know open holes in a very complicated run game. You know, maybe they're just geniuses. Like you know, maybe they're chess masters who are trapped in these enormous bodies. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, maybe there is something to that. Who knows? Um, but but um, I think. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, I think Duke Clemens is pretty entrenched as the starter at center. He was even playing center after Marazzo regained his health and uh, Gaines actually looked pretty good at center in his uh, limited spell. I think it was against LSU. So uh, I think Clemens is going to be the one who's entrenched at center. And then it's going to be a rotating cast at the two guard spots. Mm -hmm. I think Gaines will get most of the run at right guard. I think it's going to be a bit of a split at left between uh, Mafi and Marazzo, or they might be hoping that Sione Tapaki or Noah Pualele uh, emerge. Pualele especially is the guy that they had earmarked when they recruited him out of high school. He was the number one guard in the, in the state of California in his class. So um, they might be hoping for him to kind of jump the other two guys guys um who are a little bit lower rated than him and kind of just show out the season but who knows well i, I guess i'd put it this way like are, are, i don't care yep. <laughs> like <laughs> i don't care what they do at guard you know they're gonna have the answers no matter you know like ipulele or tapuki or, or or whoever like you know whether they work out or don't work out you know somebody could take an injury like it doesn't matter you know the guards are going to be the guards you know they're putting a converted defensive lineman in for half their drives and he was fine you know like the, yep. the guard's not the issue and the guard's you know, it was not the issue last year and it, uh, it won't be the issue in 2022. So, you know, whatever I care about the tackles and boy, this looks like a lot of trouble to me. Um, oh, you know, not just, so. you know, losing the, the starters, but losing a couple other guys who I thought, you know, might've played at tackle, um, uh, Bo Taylor transferred out. I believe he could have been a tackle. I'm not sure about that. Um, and then I, I believe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there's three guys off the team who each could have been a tackle, Thomas Cole, Patrick Selna, and Baraka Beckett. So Beckett is off the team, but he was he was definitely more of an interior guy. All right. Um, Selna and Cole, that is the great mystery of UCLA football right now. What happened to those guys during spring ball? Because like you need tackles. Yeah, those they, guys are built like tackles. They okay. are indeed. Yeah. 
Um, they had they were so threadbare at tackle during spring ball that they had Garrett DiGiorgio, and then they had a rotating cast of people who have never played tackle uh, or yeah who have never played tackle before. They had Tyler Manoa who was a converted yeah he was a converted lineman. defensive lineman during my limited time when I was yep. watching whatever the hell they put on in the Pac-12 network on spring as their not spring game. I yeah I was seeing that guy and I was like Tyler Manoa that can't be right. Oh no it is and it's like two different you know defensive linemen and offensive line yeah. Yep. Uh, so they tried Manoa out and he might've been the best of a bad bunch. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. Carlin got kicked out to tackle and he was a bit, uh, he was not ready for prime time from everything mm-hmm. that I read. Um, Bruno Fino was a guy who is a guy who has tackle lineage. Um, his dad played tackle in the NFL, if I remember correctly. Um, but he came in a bit light out of high school. So they've tried to convert him to center. They played him at t- tackle during uh spring ball and it, uh, was a bit uh, of a bit of an adventure from what I read. So, I mean, DiGiorgio is a bit of a prototypical right tackle and they had to play him on the left because they literally had no other options. And he was just kind of, kind of uh, out at sea on the, at the left tackle position. The tackle situation at UCLA right now is dire and they yeah. need to find a solution. And that solution needs to stay healthy um, because there's not that much behind them. Uh, the guy that um, they're really earmarking as the great hope of the left tackle position this season is Rutgers transfer Raekwon O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, they also brought in a transfer from Oregon, Jalen Jeffers. But yeah, Jalen Jeffers, I, I don't I, – I, the reviews on him out of Oregon were not that great, but UCLA really well, wanted him out of high school. So There's there's no review. We've never seen him you know, take yep. a snap because he's never been healthy. Um, and and from what I understand, he, he probably is never going to be playable. Um, I, I don't know. Like a, he, you know, I, I'm rooting for him. I mean, what happened to him really sucks. Uh, and it'd be great if he took the field and he really kicked ass and solved this problem for UCLA. It's just yep. don't put your money on it, buddy. No, no, I've I have nobody's counting on anything uh, with that one as far as the fan base. Um, they, I don't know what their solutions a, are. They took a freshman, Sam Yoon, who I believe is built like a tackle, but he looks a little too light for it, and he's not going to yep. show up until the fall. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't know what the answer is here. Like, I really it, like. Their ideal solution is that Thomas Cole comes back because he's the kind of the highest rated and the highest ceiling guy, not just out of high school. That was the guy who the reports were saying has the best projection as the left tackle going forward for UCLA after Sean Ryan. So their hope has to be that Thomas Cole comes back, that he plays swing tackle. Garrett DiGiorgio gets to kick out to right tackle where he was actually playable last season. He he had a cup of coffee at right tackle and looked decent in a couple of games. And then uh, Raekwon O'Neal is a bit of a plug and play guy at left tackle, not on a Sean Ryan level because you can't expect that but uh, good enough for a Pac-12 schedule. That's the ideal I mean, solution, but you're counting on even, health at that point, any number. Right, exactly. Like, even if all three of those are wins, right? Cole returns from whatever his mysterious absence is, which, again, listener, UCLA, two months after spring practice concluded, has not posted an official roster. We have no idea where Thomas Cole is. He might be in another dimension, like with <laughs> Ozzy Smith, like from the Simpsons episode. Like, uh, Doctor uh, Strange? Yeah, uh, who knows? Um, if if Thomas Cole rematerializes here on the prime material plane and Raekwon O'Neal, um, you know, successfully makes it for, from Rutgers to UCLA, a plane trip, which apparently is going to be happening a lot more often in the future. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, DiGiorgio works out at whatever position, you know, he goes in as a redshirt freshman because uh, he was a 2021 mid three star. Like even if all three of those things, you know, are wins, that means you have three guys to play two spots you know, God help you if somebody turns an ankle, you know, like, yep, exactly. like this is potentially really, really bad. 
Oh, it is the biggest position of concern for UCLA right now, which I, coming off of last season when UCLA had a very decent offensive line group is a bit stark and it speaks to recruiting deficiencies. Um, Cause you can, I can give you names of uh, there is, there are enough names to populate like a two and a half deep, like Patrick Selna, Bruno Fina, Brandon Roy, um, Let's see. I mean, Josh Carlin, Sione Tapaki, uh, Bo Taylor transferred out to Ball State, I think. But I mean, these are all guys who came in as mid three stars as kind of stash and develop guys. Well, last season was the sta- time to stash and develop them. You would think that there would be a level of playability above what was seen in spring practice. So um, it speaks to deficient recruiting, deficient evaluation. I understand the offensive line position is the hardest one to evaluate of them all. But at the same time. I mean, you got you had to find something just by sheer chance, and it just doesn't seem like there's much meat on that bone right now. Well, I mean, the thing I think you're absolutely right that it's about recruiting. I mean, the recruiting at this position has been bad. You know, like it's not there's once Sean Ryan left, there were uh, zero uh, uh, blue chips left in the program. Where you know it's all three stars, and they're like yep. low to mid three stars too. Um, you know, the, uh, the starting, you know, excluding the guys who were walk-ons, you know, the, the average of the starting lineup last year, um, with all seven dudes in it, uh, was, you know, 0.87, which is a high three-star, you know, uh, Sean Ryan's departure and a couple of the other departures, you know, the guys who are, who, who, who return and the guys who come in, you know, it falls, you know, two hundredths of a point, it falls down to 0.85. Like it's, it's a, it's a big fall off, you know, in the average talent level, like you, like that year over year, you know, fall off amount is enormous in the two for seven composite rating. Um, and, and on top of that, it's just like, you know, there's just, there's no experience and, and it's isolated to a single position, you know, to the point where I was, I was telling you to shut up when you're talking about guards. Cause I don't care. Um, <laughs> you know, like, no, I'm not really, I, no, I'm no, I got you. I got you. But like, uh, you know, all of the problem is at tackle. Um, and like, you know, and, and you're sort of like, you're, you're betting on transfers, you're betting on, you know, mystery guys, uh, you're betting on, you know, converted line, defensive linemen. It's like, it's, it's remarkable. And, and I mean, it goes to, let's face it, what's, what's been the real knock on Chip Kelly's the roster management, right? Like it's, it's not like these are unforeseeable problems. You need to recruit offensive linemen. You need to manage the roster and their development. Um, you know, and it's sort of like, how can you get blindsided by the most important position on your football team? You know, like, no, I don't think it's blindsided. I think it's active ignorance of recruiting. I mean, that's, that is the most common, you're right. Roster management and kind of projecting out and knowing what your needs are is the biggest criticism that uh, attentive UCLA fans have had of Chip Kelly out of all the criticisms they've had that, I mean, that's number one with a bullet. Um, they lost uh, Justin Fry. Uh, who had earlier come in from Boston College to to run the offensive line? They are replacing him with, oh boy, I can't believe this is. Am I yep. reading this right, Tim Drevno? That is correct. The 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 dude who failed so bad at USC that Clay Helton actually fired him. He was like one of two guys that he, Clay Helton was willing to fire. That is correct. Uh, how do you think that's going to go? Um. <laughs> um. Well, uh, I think it's going to go real bad. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find an artful way to say that. Um, well, you can tell me I'm an idiot. That's usually no. most of our guests enjoy that. 
No, 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 no. There's no ADC on this one. Uh, no, you're exactly right. Um, it's going to be a shit show. I was trying to find a more artful way of saying that, mm. but no, it's going to be. It's likely to be a shit show, barring some miracle of health, and I don't know. Um, I don't know unicorn level play from guys who you wouldn't expect it from. All right. Well, and even then, the recruiting for this, um, for uh, the current uh, class of high school uh, offensive line recruits, they there were four or five guys that they brought in on official visits that they felt good about in the last month. And all of them, all of them, including three who were perceived as UCLA leans have committed to other schools. Yeah. And, uh, and there's really nobody else in the pipeline as far as offensive line in general recruiting right now. And they don't have an offensive line commit. So, well, well and again, yeah. you know, this is yet another position in which there's only one uh, member of the 2022 class. Like we mentioned, you Sam Yoon and he yep. doesn't show up until the fall. You know, it's like, you know, it, it is a position in which they have taken more transfers than freshmen, you know, yes. uh, like, you know, it's just good microcosm of the rest of the team. All right. Speaking of coaching shit shows, let's talk about the defense. Um, <laughs> Uh, fired everybody, um, with the exception of Brian Norwood. I was wondering if you could actually walk the, uh, us through this one. When Chip Kelly showed up in 2018, he, for some reason, uh, got uh, Jerry Azanaro and Don Pelham, um, which, boy, um, uh, that didn't work. Uh, and then in nope. 2020, uh, uh, he hired Brian Norwood from Navy. And what you immediately noticed in 2020 was that even though that guy was not officially the defensive coordinator, they were running Navy's defense, um, which was their kind of weird hybrid 4-2 with a, the, it's like a DB who plays striker and an OLB who plays Raider. Um, and I was seeing that in 2020 and 2021. And then he finally uh, uh, fired Azanaro, cleared out uh, you know the entire defensive coaching staff, except for Brian Norwood, who is still the safeties coach. But then as far as I can tell from watching the spring and maybe I'm wrong about this, it looks like they're actually just running the new defensive line or defensive uh, coordinators scheme, um, which is a four, three and the new defensive coordinator is Bill McGovern. Am I reading that right? All of that is correct. All uh, that is correct down to and, the uninspiring hire of Bill McGovern plucked off the scrap heap from the Chicago Bears outside and, and, linebackers. And losing job. Johnny Nansen, who is running the defensive line, uh, I can't imagine very well. Um, and they replacing, weren't bad last season. Uh, they were not the weakness last season. I'll put it that way. Uh, and are going with another uh, USC uh, reject, Chad Kahawahaha. Um Oh, boy. Um, although they did pick up for the outside linebackers coach, uh, Haka Malloy, who I think was the only good coach at the university of Washington last year. Um, I actually, I like him a lot. Um, but I don't like, uh, McGovern or Kawahaha. Do you think I'm wrong about that? No, um, I, I call him Chad K because Lord knows I, I'm not even going to try that. Kudos to you for being able to pull that one off. Um, mm. Chad K is uninspiring. Just like Tim Drevno is Bill McGovern is what, whatever, five tiers below uninspiring is um i obviously hope i'm wrong kind of surprising for a chip kelly guy right it's like yeah kelly i would have sort of expect like wacky stuff and instead he's like i'm gonna find the most boring defensive court like this feels like performance art from chip kelly like oh you know los angeles media i'll 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 make fun of you with my hire like i it's like i call this on twitter i called it a spite hire where i (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna make me run off my boy well this is what you're gonna get instead (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, that, I, that's the exact way I referred to it. We're in the same boat on that one. Um, the, the one truly inspiring hire they made that's working out on the recruiting trail at the very least so far is uh, Ken Norton as the uh, inside linebackers coach. Yeah, I don't know much about him. I, uh, I understand that he was at the Seahawks. I think he got fired by Pete Carroll. 
Yeah, he was kind of their I don't their placeholder defensive coordinator while Pete actually called the plays. Uh, um, kind of I guess similar to Justin Fry as UCLA's offensive coordinator. Everyone knows right, who the right, offensive yeah. coordinator was. But uh, but Ken Norton, um, he has made a very good impression as far as um, the way he's connected with the current linebackers on the team, um, his level of coaching, which is a, a like. Oh, you mean his level of coaching is better than Don Pelham's? Uh, than the corpse of Don Pelham, correct? Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, there's a there's a bar. I know, hmm. right? Um, no, but Norton has made a very positive impression on most of the people who are observing the UCLA program right now, and uh, he is probably right now UCLA's most successful recruiter as well. And he even he is losing recruits. To be fair, so I mean, there's just something inherent. I mean, to there's a lot of losses recruiting. on the defense like it's yep. kind of bar- all right let's talk about the defensive line yep uh, i know that we're going to need to uh split these up into tackles and ends if we're talking about a four three yep. at least if i understand what bill mcgovern wants to do is a fairly traditional four three but i'm just going to lump all the departures together because because they were not playing in a four three um so i think that they're losing and please tell me if i screw any of this up atito bonia mm-hmm. uh daytona jackson yes Odua is a bore uh Tioi Salvea uh one of I think two Salveas uh that who are now both gone Tyler Manoa looks like he's been converted to the offensive line and then four guys who didn't play uh but we had expectations of John Ward Tyler Keeney uh Christian Burkhalter whom UCLA swiped from Oregon uh so you know you got cursed uh and uh AJ Campbell did I miss anybody nope all those guys are gone all right uh that's a lot yep decent amount let's talk about the tackles first um i I think probably the headliner was the uh the the most amusing thing that happened last spring which was ucla swiping uh jay toya from usc Mm. um he actually didn't get a lot of reps last year was that just because he was young or you have any concerns about him Uh, it looks like he should be ready to step in and be the dude but like maybe not what do you think uh, Toya, I don't. I'm not that concerned about. Um, I think that the issue with getting him on the field, he got a decent amount of reps for a true freshman nose tackle. To be fair, I never expect much out of a true freshman at that position. It's just it, there's just the, so much nuance and there's so much size you have to have coming in. Um, mm-hmm. The problem that Toya had is that he was behind Ogbonia, who was probably UCLA's best defensive player last year. Sure. So um, uh, Ogbonia was uh, drafted by. Uh, Gosh, I don't even remember anymore, but he was taken in the NFL draft, which is a rare thing for a UCLA defensive player these days. Um, uh, let me see here. He and Quentin Lake, for that matter. Uh, he was drafted by the Chargers, actually. Hmm. So uh, he's staying in L.A., but or uh, should be in San Diego, but staying in L.A. for some reason. But um, regardless, uh, Toya is going to be kind of the heir apparent, and uh, he'll split time with Martin Andrews. They brought in a couple of other uh, defensive tackles. Um, I, am I stepping on toes when I bring up the transfers? I just want to make sure. That no, not not guess. at all. I, okay. I you know the, the most the, the the biggest challenge that I'm facing here is it's going it's a it's a scheme change, yeah. and so like nose tackle going to a four down front that doesn't always go well um no, agreed it, 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 he's gonna have to play some sort of i i don't know is he gonna have to i don't see him as a three tackle. i don't so see him I as a one gapper you yeah, know i don't exactly. see him shooting gaps like i, I think he just sort of get trapped because he's 325 pounds you know yeah it's they recruited well, i mean they recruited for a three three five or for a four two five and they, they exactly. are now converting to something else completely yeah i mean frankly like i said I, I think this this hire was insane you know it reminds yeah. me of like mike Wahlberg or mark Wahlberg in in, in uh in the other guys where he's like i learned ballet to make fun of you like <laughs> learn uh, the harp uh what else <laughs> yeah yeah that um, kind of, yeah 
So the other thing that's difficult, as again, I must uh, note, listener, UCLA has not posted a roster, is that I, they have not, uh, you know, they don't tell me who the ends and the tackles are. I'm left yep. to make guesses based on guys' weights, and maybe even their weights aren't still accurate. So, like, here's uh, a bunch of... Let me see here. I can give you what. Jacob Sykes is going to be a three-technique right. kind of a guy. Gary Smith is... You Probably. just mentioned two transfers uh, yep. who, who are coming in. Sykes is from the FCS ranks. Uh, Smith is from Duke. Yep. Um, uh, FCS? Is that what we're calling Harvard these days, the FCS ranks? Uh, Harvard sorry, University. I have a color code. Uh, sorry. I, I just have a color I mean, code for everybody in the FCS. I don't Stanford's going to go to that league, right? I was going to say, I mean, I, I mean, uh, future, uh, I was going to say future Stanford opponent, opponents, Harvard College. So I called them yeah. Harvard University tonight. Harvard College. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, Sykes is from Harvard and uh, Gary Duke or Gary Smith is from Duke. That's correct. And, uh, and they, they also, also have got... uh, Quentin Somerville, who I didn't mention, but he's somebody who they think is a promising three technique. He's 265. I I classified him as a defensive tackle. Sounds like you agree, um, although that's a little yep. light for a tackle yes. um, in this type but of he, he is a gap shooter. Uh, they also got from Washington, Leatu Latu, who we never really got to see much. Who's injured much of his time. He also yes. is 260 and I have classified as a tackle in the system. Uh, Latu, they're projecting as an edge, I believe. You think he's on the edge. All right. It, I, I know they're projecting him there. Whether he ends up there, I don't know, but that's what they brought him into play. Uh, it's a little big for it. Maybe it'll slim down. Um, there's three other returners who I didn't see last year, and I have classified as tackles, but like I said, I didn't see him, so I don't know if they're – and I don't have a roster report, so I yeah. don't know whether any of these things are accurate. So you tell me whether I should think of them as tackles or not. And they are Martin Andrus, um, mm-hmm. Sidveni oh. Havili Kafusi, and Hayden Harris. All on the roster, all uh, played during the spring or were injured in the case of uh, uh, Kafusi. Um, Andrews is coming off of a season-long injury last year. He's, I think, mm-hmm. I think he's a sixth-year senior at this point or something like yeah. that. He came in in the same class as uh, Jalen Phillips, if you remember him. So they, yeah. They, yeah. So um, Martin Andrews is going to split time, uh, or he's going to be a rotation option on the defensive line. Uh, Hayden Harris is a guy they brought in as a bit of a project. I think he was a two-star kid out of the state of Washington when mm-hmm. they brought him in in Chip's first class. Um, he is somebody who is starting to put some stuff together. I don't think you'll see too much of him, but he will play at the very least. It won't you be think much he's a tackle? I mean, I've, 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 the last, the last update tackle. I saw on his weight was 251, which is really light. But you it know, is. Like I, said, um, I, I don't think have they have him designated here. as like a third down pass rushing tackle, basically. Mm. Um, Toya had eight tackles. Nobody else uh, did who's a returner last year. Um, I, I sort of figured this is Sykes and Smith and then question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, you know, for the rest of the rotation. Like you need four, right? You need, you know, for a rotation and a four down system out of the tackles. You know, I've got Sykes and Smith as starters. I've got Toya as maybe he'll fit. I've got, and then, you know, every everybody else that we've talked about is sort of like, I don't know, maybe like, do you, do you think there's anybody who's like, no, you shouldn't be maybe about that dude. He's a starter. I'm going to start pounding the table. I'm not going to pound the table for him, but I think Andrews is going to be an equal time play. I don't think that they're going to have start. I think they're just going to have rotations. They're going to have, they're, they're going to kind sure of roll them out like true. hockey lines. Um, but Andrews is going to be part of that hockey rotation. All right. The uh, we are having this conversation 365 days from now. The four human beings who have the most tackles at the defensive tackle position are. <laughs> um. Let's say, let's say Jay Toya, Martin Andrews, 
Um, the four that you listed. Um, it, unless the one guy who I think could pop that we're not really expecting to is Quentin Somerville. I think that this system is going to be more conducive to his quickness than the uh, than the four two five that they had before. All right. And um, so the two guy, the four guys that you mentioned plus Somerville were, would be the five that I look out for for the interior line. Uh, let's talk about the ends. Um, the also a bunch of losses here, um, but there's there was simply more rotation of sort of the nature of the system uh, uh, last couple of years. So um, Bo Calvert uh, returns. I believe he was an inside linebacker. He is a member of a family who have all been failures in my eyes. Uh, uh, Carl Jones, who I like a lot. Uh, I think he got had to be talked into returning. Um, those are the, the two primary guys who uh, were playing a lot last year, unless mm-hmm. I missed somebody. No, uh, as far okay. as the guys who we can project as pat like uh, edge pass rushers, yeah, those two guys, um, uh, Devin Opiu, uh, Opiu, I, I don't know the right. Uh, it, He's the guy who transferred uh, from Notre Dame. Correct. Uh, um, I think he'll get a little bit more run than he did last season, but I think we're about to talk about the guys who I think are going to be the two right. true starters at this position, which are I believe they're twins. They uh, are Gab- Gabriel and Grayson Murphy from uh, North Texas. Uh, both Correct. of them transferred together. Uh, both of them had fairly impressive uh, seasons at North Texas uh, last year. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I liked Jones. Um, he's a little light. Um, I, I think that he sort of gets reserved for certain packages. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's Murphy and Murphy and then everybody else just gets the knives out to fight for the backup spots. What do you think? Um, it seemed like, uh, Malloy liked, uh, Jones more than, uh, uh, more than Calvert, which is a market shift from, uh, last year. Who was that? It was, uh, Kafusi. I'm going to say it was Jason Kafusi, who was the outside linebackers coach last year. Um, uh, went to Arizona along with uh, Johnny Nansen. Um, but yeah, uh, they seem to prefer Calvert in last year's defense. It seems like Jones was more impactful and got more uh, spring run than uh, Calvert did. I think the I think those are the four who you can count on for the edge, though. I think it's going to be a heavy dose of the Murphy twins, uh, a lot of a decent amount of Carl Jones, a slightly less decent amount of Bo Calvert, and then they're going to be grooming uh, Devin Upu, and uh, yep. they're going to be trying to get Laiatu Latu healthy. I think that's how it's going to end up going. Uh, that's exactly how I see it. Are is, Malloy is coaching this unit? Yes. So it'll be Kawahaha at, at tackled Malloy at ends. And then Norton is coaching the, the linebackers. They have them. I mean, they gave them the titles that would correspond to the way that the previous defense was set up. That defensive right. line, outside linebacker, inside linebacker. I, I know did, that's, yeah, yeah uh, it's very confusing, but you know, it, that would totally make sense because Malloy is a defensive line guy and Kawahaha is totally a defensive line guy. And from what I can tell from Nort about Norton, he was a linebackers guy. And if it's just a four, three, like, yeah, that's how you, if you had three, dudes for the front that's how you would split it up um i don't know why they assigned them those titles they probably because they haven't updated the flipping roster and that <laughs> when the finally the roster gets you know posted as an update on august 31st no doubt they will have the correct titles on the coaches too and i don't know i'll be slightly less upset then um they shocked about- people last year they actually put out and a depth chart that turned out to be semi-accurate on the first day of fall it, practice. It had the correct personnel, but all the titles were like all the positions were wrong. Like they is were that, referring uh, to positions uh, that they don't have in that Norwood's defense. It was like last year. Is that what yeah. it was? 
Yeah. Oh, I, I I remembered that they listed Bo Calvert ahead of Carl Jones, and people were flipping out about that. But they're like, no, it's misdirection. It turned out to be the truth. Yeah. Actually, most of it turned out to be true. But they, yeah, I think it was an issue. It was, of, like, it was also all, it's a positional like roller like uh, merry go round. Is yeah. Yep. All right, let's talk about the linebackers. Um, they are uh, Calvert moved from the inside down to the ends. Um, looks like they're losing four other dudes. Uh, Mitchell Agude. Uh, Jordan Genmark Heath, uh, Caleb Johnson, Miles Jackson. Yes. Um, returning Ali Cajo, uh, who had transferred earlier from Alabama, although I think he was injured. Um, also returning Kane Madrano, although I think he was injured. Also returning Jonathan Vaughns, but I didn't get to see him because he was playing baseball. <laughs> Um, and then returning a bunch of other guys who didn't play. I, I think that those are the three returners who are of significance. Did I miss anybody? Um, no, I, I would actually downgrade uh, John John Vaughn's a little bit in that regard. He got a no, decent I amount refuse of to acknowledge Sellers. the name John John. That is ridiculous. And I, when his, he was listed he as by. Jonathan. Oh, man. It. He's listed on a roster somewhere as Jonathan. I was like, that's appropriate. Yeah. I'm going to stick that is that, that is his baptismal name. Uh, everybody and their mother calls him John John. Oh, boy. Way to yep. go. I love it. And yep. is that the reason why you're downgrading him? No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. It um, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> No, no. Um, he played a little bit less than the other two. Um, they moved Shea Bryant Struther from a- edge to inside linebacker. Actually, mm-hmm. it was weird that they had him and uh, and then they also uh, moved Damian Sellers. This is actually one I forgot. They moved Damian Sellers from uh, inside to outside, but he's not with right. the edges. He's he's a, he's a will linebacker, I think now. Yes. So I, I did. I caught that one. There was one of the few things that I learned from trying to watch the spring game. It was like, ah, this guy is actually still a linebacker uh, in yep. this new system. I didn't record any stats for Sellers or Bryant Struther last year. Did I miss something? No, they just didn't play that much. And Sellers was kind of – Sellers is the best defensive recruit that they've brought in since they've been at UCLA. I think he was an elite pass rusher who literally everybody in the SEC wanted. They won the battle for him, and they immediately turned him into a Mike, which made no damn sense, and now they're playing him outside again. And Bryant Struther was a pure Mike in high school. They put him at edge, and now they flipped them again. So do you think there's a possibility that some of these guys who didn't play in the new system suddenly take a big step forward and, and, and oh, this is the right system for me? I think that the system will revolve, like the entire system is going to revolve around Hawaii transfer Darius Musi, uh, Muasau, um, mm-hmm. and or is It, it was it like their Muasau leading tackler last year. Oh, yeah. by a distance. Like I, th- yeah, I right. think he had like an NFL number of tackles. Like it was triple digits almost, wasn't it? Like, it was uh, 108. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. So no, Muasau. Uh, uh, I think it, with, I think with Polynesian names, you pronounce the U at the end. Muasau, I, I guess. But either way, regardless, um, he, they are building the defense around him. Uh, he very quickly emerged as the number one. Uh, he started out, I think, day one of spring as the backup Mike and Mike, and they moved him up to number one very, very quickly. And he just kind of became the leader at the defense at that point. As long as he's healthy, the defense revolves around him. And then from there, you just find the best fit for. Um, for the talent around him. And I guess the talent around him is going to really be, um, Cajo has the highest ceiling for sure, given his pedigree. Um, 
Vaughn's is an athletic freak, but he just hasn't really put it together on the football field yet for sure. Um, Sellers is somebody who has all the potential in the world, but again, the staff hasn't gotten the best out of him yet. Uh, Bryant Struther was a very highly, uh, not a very highly, he was a high three-star Mike out of high school. He might be a backup Mike in this defense. There are people who came out of high school with talent. Uh, Kane Madrano, he was a mid three-star, but he's a very uber athletic guy who came in as an athlete. They started him at wide receiver and they moved him to linebacker pretty quickly. There are, there is the making of a good linebacker core here as far as athleticism. It's really about it's just we haven't seen it. it. We yeah. haven't seen it. And it's a yeah. scheme change. And like, this is the scheme change where linebackers either, they either get tripped up because like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, or you had me doing the wrong thing, but now, you know, this is the right thing for me. So it's like, I kind of feel like throughout the record books, you know, yes. uh, um, for, for some of these guys, I could, I could easily see, you know, Bryant Struthers, you know, going from zero tackles to a bunch of tackles, you know, yep. for that reason. Um, yep. I could easily see Caho, you know, going from, you know, 32 tackles to 10, um, you know, for that reason, you know, maybe it just doesn't fit with him, you know, yep. like, I don't know, like, I don't know, man, this is just one of, I feel like I, I got to wait and see it. Like, the, I feel like the scheme changes are going to have like a really, a, a lot of significance here. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I, there's just not that much returning, you know, like if you're going to a four three, you need six, you know, uh, and like, there's not six dudes who recorded tackles on this team last year. Um, there's, you know, the, you know, even including the, the, the Hawaii transfer, you only, it only gets to five, um, you know, and that's not enough. And, and, you know, it doesn't account for any injuries, but like, it's such a weird, you know, scheme switch or the, the scheme switch can have such weird effects, uh, that like, I don't know, man, I guess we'll find out like, <laughs> I'm a little more confident in the linebackers than I would have been otherwise, because I think the addition of Ken Norton makes a difference. Um, the, the coaching level with Norton, with the linebackers specifically, I was very surprised that the reports on him were that good, because usually when you have a coach who spent that much time in the NFL, they've kind of lost the passion to coach college kids, mm-hmm. to recruit and all that kind of stuff. It seems like Ken Norton is bringing it so far, and that his players responded to him in a big way in spring. If that continues, the linebacker core might surprise. I'm not saying it, it, it there's obviously no guarantee given the pedigree of the people who have stuck around. Muasau is somebody who I think is going to continue to be good just because he has a track record of being good, but he's the only one that I can say that about. So he's the but only one that it I can was at, you know, we should yeah. say here, I guess I'll rain on the parade. It was at Hawaii. You know, he's tackling. But if you can be that guy. good at Hawaii, I'm hoping that UCLA level talent well, against a very weak schedule makes you look equally good. I, that's my hope. I obviously I, I, have no expectation. Okay, I, I you're, you're making me rain. Every, every bit of sunshine that you pump makes me rain harder. Like the, <laughs> Look, uh, 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 inside linebackers get a million tackles, whether they're good or not. Like the system. Oh, they didn't at UCLA the last year. Like, look at Caleb Johnson's <laughs> numbers last year. Look at Caleb Johnson. I think he was like the leading tackle with like forty-five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, all right. The, the, yes, but that's because the Norwood. Okay, never mind. Well, they suck. Uh, but yeah, um, we, yeah. I think. Listen, I will take you at your word that they're going to build the system around Musau. Like, I have no reason to doubt that, you know, at all. Yep. But like, he's going to be trying to tackle different kinds of dudes. Um, you know, playing at power five level, and maybe in the future at in the Big Ten. Um, like, good good luck tackling wisconsin's running backs dude like after you know tackling san jose states like you know? i think he has only one season of eligibility so i think he's only gonna yeah. have to deal with pac-12 ones yeah. and then after that next year we're completely sol because there doesn't unless bryant struther or somebody else of that ilk really steps up as a mic in the making they're threadbare at the position well and years. you know let, let's say it for the umpteenth time like Recruiting. this is a position where they recruited one guy jalen woods you know yep. that's it for the 2022 class 
can say it with me. He doesn't come in until the fall, you know, like, um, you know, it's there. It's a yet another position, which there's only one, one freshman guy. It's just like this roster management is screwy as hell. All right. Uh, speaking of screwy as hell roster management, let's talk about the defensive backs. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I give up. I like Michael. I'm sorry. Like I, I just, I can't follow this. There's so many departures. I, yep. I could not follow the spring game, uh, as to, you know, who was playing and who wasn't. I think I can recite who the departures are here. Although some of them are going to be like the wrong position. Uh, so for example, Quantra's Knight is leaving. He's technically classified as defensive back, but he was playing the striker position, which maybe is better understood as a defensive end even. Uh, yep. But anyway, uh, losing Quentin Lake uh, as well, um, who was some kind of defensive back, uh, losing Cam Johnson, who they brought in from UN, who's the other defensive player they brought in from UNT, um, which was weird because he like came in, you know, ahead of a bunch of other freshmen and then those freshmen all left because like, what are you doing to me? Uh, they yep. lose Jay Shaw, um, who became unplayable at some point in his career crazily uh they lose martel irby who was a running back and then some other thing and then some other third thing uh losing uh obi ebo who transferred in from stanford it was bizarre that they took him from stanford because he sucked there um they lose dj warnell they lose elisha gidry they lose shamar martin they lose josh moore they lose patrick jolly and those are some of the guys that i know about um there's also a bunch of other guys that i'm not uh sure about like uh did, did i ask you about devin willard from air force academy is he gone uh, did, or is yes. he on the team? Yep. Yes. Is, is, is he is he back or what's he's, his deal? He, he's in the he is uh he's in the program as far as I know, but I, I don't expect much there. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm not even gonna I okay, so they returned Devin Kirkwood and Stephen Blaylock. I'm pretty sure that they have jobs. Yep. Uh, uh I yep pretty sure that mo osling has a job even though he only played in a few games last year i had seen him in the past and he was okay and he's a senior does he have a job by, de by default he's gonna have to have a job okay now. by default yeah it's a good answer um i can't i can't even with the rest of this like you tell me what uh azizi hearn from wyoming maybe he's gonna i think they've pegged him as the uh, slot corner um which is a little bit weird because um I think he played outside when he was at Wyoming, so we'll see how that goes. Um, that's or that's what I was told anyway. Obviously, did not watch that much Wyoming football. Um, they, I think that the corners. The I think we can safely say three things. The corners, the starting two outside corners, um, will be uh, Kirkwood and Humphrey, uh, Devin Kirkwood and John Humphrey. Um, Stephen Blaylock will be one of the starting safeties. Beyond where does, that, where does Osling fit in? Is he a cornerback? Osling would probably be either a slot corner or a safety. He's vacillated between the okay. two. He's a little big for a slot corner, but that's where he's almost exclusively played when he's played corner. I mean, it's I, been strange. Yeah. Um, um, Jalen Davies, the transfer from Oregon, is a potential competitor for the slot corner job with Azizi Hearn. But I we don't saw him like in like one series last year. I, I don't know anything, you know, other than yeah. recruiting tape. But yeah, I can't tell yeah. you anything about him. Kenny Churchwell is probably the main competitor for the opposite uh, safety job. Um, he's known as a big hitter, but doesn't have the greatest range of coverage. Um, the a guy that they are putting a lot of hope in would be uh, the incoming uh, four-star freshman. Um, they're highest rated recruit actually who they flipped from stanford uh kamari ramsey from but he uh, doesn't Sierra arrive Canyon. until the fall right he does not arrive until the fall that is correct uh a running theme with this program mm. uh clint stevens as well um is somebody who he can he comes in technically as an athlete but i think that they have him earmarked for safety I, Croy yeah. stewart from uh from uh central california so you just gonna be a little bit of a project you just named the three 
freshman 2022 guys, which actually yep. makes the defensive back sort of a standout unit for UCLA in that they recruited three whole human beings. Um, yes. uh, although two of them don't arrive until the fall. And, and mm-hmm. you actually think, uh, I mean, this, it, there's, it's just so depleted. Like I, I, re- yes. I think I only count uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight returning scholarship dudes nine of willard has a scholarship i'm not sure yep. um they oh took... uh jake newman also I, I didn't mention this during the the linebacker discussion he probably projects more as a mike in this defense than he does at safety he's probably outgrown safety New- jake newman who the hell are you talking about uh he a... is listed on the safety depth chart uh okay congratulations just stumped him I, I mean, I don't have my sheet because, like, UCLA's, like, you know, super unprofessional <laughs> about this. Not you, Michael. I mean, the university. <laughs> no, no, no. I got you. I got you. Um, I mean, honestly, like, I okay, the, you know, we, we talked about Kirkwood. We talked about Humphrey. Um, we talked about uh, Churchwell. We talked about Blaylock and Osling. Uh, the only other dude who's returning is William Nimmo, um, who I didn't see last year. Um, uh like, yeah, I wouldn't at all be surprised if the five newcomers who, let's reiterate, Azizi Hearn, the Wyoming transfer, Jalen Davies, the Oregon uh, transfer who didn't play last year as, red, as a true freshman, uh, and the three actual true freshmen, Croy Stewart, Kamari Ramsey, Clint Stevens. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if not just we see some of those guys, but we saw all five of those guys. Because who else, you know, I can't count. This is going to be... Well, actually, you tell me, are they going to play a nickel defense at all? Like, or is this going to be like a truly old school 4-3 and they're only going to have four defensive backs on the field at any given point? No, they're going to have a heavy dose of nickel. Um, I okay, know that they brought defensive in... backs who are no, playable. No. <laughs> I'm not, oh, man. That wasn't a joke. Like, no, name no, 10 no. defensive backs were playable. No, truly, I don't think you're joking. No, it's that is the truth about this defense is that it is the, the biggest concern on the defensive side of the ball is the threadbare uh, defensive backfield without a shadow of a doubt. So um, they are, they're counting on a whole lot of things going right health wise that I don't think can be counted on in the sport of football. That's just the there, best way I can put it. Wait, do you mean that there are there injuries now? Or are you just saying there you're hoping that there will be no injuries? They are, they have to be hoping there's no injuries because they don't have okay. an actual functional, functional two deep as of this moment. Right. I, right. Exactly. Like I think that it, you know, if they're, if they're only going to play four, I, I can't even count to four right now. Like, you know, or I can't count to eight, you know, we, you know, four starters and four backups, right? Like I, I have Kirkwood Humphrey, Churchwell, Blaylock, Osling. That's it. I got the five. Um, yep. and, and so it's like, yeah, you know, the new guys are, I mean, they're going to have to play. And like two of the new guys don't arrive until the fall. And one of them is a mid three star. Um, and, and, you know, the, the only one I think you can, you can actually count on is, is Hearn, who, like I said, is from Wyoming. And I guess I just, I, I was making fun of the Mountain West a second ago. I'll keep it rolling. Like, okay, Mountain West transfer. Like that's a, that's a pretty Chip Kelly thing, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I just like, I'm not foreseeing great things in this defensive back room. I, do you think I'm overreacting here? Do you think I'm, no. I'm just so exasperated by how confusing this room is that I'm, um, downplaying the possibility. These guys could actually be pretty good and, and just fine in a system that, that, you know, doesn't put that much strain on them. Cause they put seven dudes in the box every play. No, no, no. They, they... UCLA's defensive backfield. I mean, I mean, I, I know I'm avoiding the question a little bit, but I, to me, it, it's a very quick summary. It's it's a bit of a shit show. Um, they, uh, I, I'm looking at David Woods's review of the spring. Um, 
the guys that he mentioned as standouts, they only go four deep at safety. Morel, Osling, Blaylock, Churchwell, and Nemo. Those are, uh, Alex Johnson was the fifth guy, and he was a redshirt guy. Uh, Clint Stevens um, uh, was an incumbent, but he blew quite a few coverages, apparently. Um, it oh, looks a like a true they, freshman in spring yeah. ball, you know? Like, yeah, of course. Um, like, let's not make fun of Clint Stevens. You no, know, he could be to. great, but it's like, yep. that's what happens when you rely on true freshmen. Like, yes. Um, and then at corner, um, looking at the depth chart again, uh, shout out to David Woods uh, at nickel or uh, when they go nickel, it's going to be a ZZ Hearn at corner. And I think that they pull um, Kane Madrano at that point, because right now the starters look like they're going to be sellers. Uh, Musau and uh, Madrano uh, with Ali Cajo in, uh, rotating with Madrano. Um, at corner, when they put Azizi Her on the field, it's going to be Devin Kirkwood alongside him, John Pumphrey on the other side. And then there's literally only two other names on the corner death chart, Jalen Davies and Isaiah Newcomb, who's a redshirt freshman. They only go five deep at corner. All three yeah. defensive backs that they brought in are safeties. The, uh, five cornerbacks for an entire football team seems like almost an impossible thing in 2022, but by my goodness, Chip Kelly and his staff have well, it now, Okay, now the big the big 10 transfer makes sense, right? Like you don't want to go up against the pack 12 if you only have a couple of cornerbacks, but go to the big 10 where it's Let's face Iowa with that. Let's go. Yeah. 22 personnel. Ah. And you only need to defend one wide receiver. Like, aha. Yeah. Exactly. Martin Jarman is playing chess, not checkers, ladies and mm-hmm. gentlemen. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That, no. UCLA is scary, scary, scary thin in the defensive backfield. And, any one injury wrecks the depth chart. Any two injuries, and you're basically playing a you're playing a coterie of walk-ons, and well, that is a bit of a problem in a pass-happy conference. And when you're facing Lincoln Riley at the end of the season with all your players uh, knocked up in one form or another, or yeah, knocked out in one form or another, carrying some sort of knock, like that's a problem. Going to be a problem. Well, we'll see. Um, well, we're, we're at the end of it here. We just got one last question. Uh, someone say the hardest question though. Um, we're really quickly going to look at this next schedule here for you, the 2022 schedule, and we're going to make you choose how many wins you're going to get now really quickly looking at it. You don't play Wazoo and you don't play Oregon state. And that's probably better for you just because they're probably pretty pissed at what you're going to end up I, doing. To them. You took that comment right out of my mouth, Adam. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, yes. I was actually looking at it as a negative. Now I'm actually kind of looking at it as a positive, believe it or not. Just like awkward. Yeah. No yeah. joke. And then, Thank uh, you for the... condemning us to athletic department death. We appreciate it. <laughs> and then the um, the road games for the Pac-12 at Colorado, at Oregon, at Arizona State, ending at California. And then the non-con, I mean, pretty good non-con, Bowling Green, who's not doing good. Alabama State. Wait, hold I on, that's an it. FCS team. Oh, am I Alabama State is, oh, yes. Yeah. Alabama yeah. State is the first FCS team that UCLA will ever will ever play. Hmm. Leaving on a high great. note. How do you feel about that, Michael? I, I'm fine with it. I just If the coach was anybody other than Chip Kelly this season, I would say, Seven and five with a pillow soft schedule, you could flip that into a oh, we're building momentum kind of recruiting class for your first recruiting class. If Chip Kelly goes nine and three, he's gonna have a worse recruiting class than random FBS coach who goes seven and five at UCLA. 
So that's the depressing part is that we're wasting a pillow soft schedule on Chip Kelly, who won't be able to turn it into something else because they're going to have the deception of wins this season. But it's mm-hmm. going to be again, it's going to be more hollow than last season was. But anyway, I, I'm stepping on toes of the actual um, schedule rundown. So, yeah, we start out with oh, Bowling oh. Green. Then we got Alabama State. Then we got South Alabama to start the season. Yes. Hey, Bowling Green yeah. beat Minnesota last year. They did indeed. Don't, don't overlook Bowling Green. There you go. Um, I mean, so other than that, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, you'd probably other teams you'd rather miss in the Pac-12. But uh, do you guys uh, what remember you the, uh, the stadium empty, uh, like the, the, the empty Rose Bowl shots they took against Hawaii last year? That's um, right. Yeah. Hawaii. Well, we don't have a week. Yeah, it was just against Hawaii. That was the only time. But it stood out against Hawaii because it was literally the only college football game on at that time. That it won't be the only college football game on at that time when they play Bowling Green or Al- Bowling Green or Alabama State or uh, South Alabama, and it will be on Pac-12 Network, so nobody will really notice other than a few people who like the five people who see it on their Twitter feeds. But mm-hmm. they're going to make the Hawaii crowd look like the Rose Bowl was sold out this this non-con season. Like if they get twenty five thousand for any of those games i will be blown away and i will actually suspect shenanigans like they gave away fifteen thousand of those i kind of think <laughs> that they like i kind of think ucla wastes its home i mean it's not like this was deliberate or anything it's just like when i look at the home road split it's like the the home teams are are all teams that are going to be either bad or that you're going to get crushed by them right like mm-hmm. you know it's it's the three non-con games then uh you know, Utah is going to crush you. Stanford, you ought to crush because they're going to be terrible. Arizona, you ought to crush because they ought to be terrible. USC is going to crush you because they have a million Blitnikoff winning wide receivers and you got no defensive backs. Um, but it, they don't have a defensive line still. So we might stay within 10 points of them. Uh, hmm. uh, <laughs> on the other hand, <laughs> like, you know, the, the games that like, you know, are, are going to determine the difference between going to a bowl or, or not are, are road games, right? Like Cal you know, like, uh, uh, Oregon, uh, you know, Colorado, don't say never. Uh, that's actually side note has, is your perception that the UCLA Colorado series is extremely weird? Oh, absolutely. It's why, uh, why is it so weird? It's like um, the Cal Arizona series, which is another one that just like whenever they play, it's insane. Uh, it started out in Carl Durrell's first game, which was at Colorado. This was back when they were in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And UCLA had a leg up on Colorado on the ground, but he actually forgot that our best running back was on the team, and that's the real story. Um, <laughs> the guy named Manuel forgot. White, he literally forgot that Manuel White was on the team. And nice. we kept on using Tyler Ebel instead and couldn't exploit the massive holes that were there because Bell just didn't have, or Ebel didn't have the quickness to do it. So um, it. we lost the game literally because Carl Durrell forgot about a player. And it's really been since then that it's just been and <laughs> strange. And then fast forward a decade and like Carl Durrell's He's at first Colorado. game at Colorado, yeah. he beats UCLA in 2020. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of a, like an embarrassing, like, oh, Colorado's got a power run game and UCLA can't stop it. <laughs> like, <laughs> are, are we talking about 2020 Pac-12 coach of the year, Carl Durrell? Yeah, right we now? are. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to love like paying Chip Kelly millions of dollars and another couple hundred million dollars for the, the, the training table for for <laughs> for Carl Durrell to beat him. Just like the full circle, circle nature of that was so UCLA. It was perfect. Um, yeah, I, 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 no notes. Uh, that, that is, that is exactly correct. But, but anyway, so, 
yeah. like I think the schedule is soft, but on the other hand, like the road split is like all of the road games are the games that you need are to fraud. win. Yeah. They're, they're the games that you need to win to leverage some different outcomes. So like ASU, which yes, it's a dumpster fire, but they still have some talent, you know, uh, Oregon, Colorado, Cal, like, you know, on the other hand, the, the Rose Bowl games are all either going to be snoozers. Well, one way or the other, uh, you know, I, I could see the schedule going in like, pretty different like i i could see anywhere from five to nine on this schedule what do you think i could see anywhere from six to ten mm-hmm. um i i think i i think we have more of a chance against usc than uh, this season only after this season they're gonna you know uh, they're gonna we're gonna be charming for them but this season i don't i still have no faith in their defense they can always outscore us there's no doubt about that especially given the state of what the defensive backfield will probably be at that point in the season but i think there's enough of a chance there that i can put it at 10. I think the only guaranteed losses on the schedule are Utah and Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the way that I ballpark it right now, the three non-conference Stanford, Arizona, Arizona state are the sure wins. Uh, and I, obviously I, they'll lose I'm one of those. Because, you, don't, yeah. don't count at Arizona state as a sure win. Everybody that we've talked to is done. I mean, literally every single person that we've talked to who's, uh, has been like, Oh, I'm just penciling in Arizona state as an automatic win. Cause that program's a dumpster fire right now. And like, look they're they might fire Herm Edwards and it will be, but like, I'm telling you their residual talent is like for real. They have a for real defensive line. Like, like they trap game, trap game, trap game, trap game. I'm telling you, I, I don't disagree with that, but then also, weirdly enough, Chip has kind of owned Arizona State at Arizona State. We play horrible against them at the Rose Bowl, with the <laughs> exception of one year, but when we go there, we either compete against them in a way that we have no business doing, or we outright win. Weird. He's like, it's hot, let's get out of here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shit. I, have no, I have no idea what it happens to be, but for whatever reason, we play them better in Tempe than we do at the Rose Bowl. <laughs> That is weird. I'll look that one up. Um, They had one really convincing win against them at the Rose Bowl under Chip, and a lot of that was fumbles kind of breaking their way and Chase Coda making miracle miracle catches. Hmm. Uh, They played better against Arizona State and Tempe otherwise. Weird. Well, savor, savor this uh, Pac-12 chaos for you, King. Yeah, um, before it turns out to be the what the UCLA Illinois uh, Monster Truck Derby or whatever they turned out. UCLA and Illinois played a crazy bowl game. Six three. Uh, oh, 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 you're talking about the bowl game, the one of the, the, the what was it called? The craft fight. Hunger uh, I know that was the day. crazy, like they, they played one game where like it was nine total points scored and they played oh, another game. It was yep. like 150 total points scored. They, yeah, the, the one I remember was the 63 game at the Rose Bowl, which um, that we won, but um, I think set the sport of football back about 50 years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they won 63, but we all lost, I think that day. Um, but yeah, if I look at their schedule, I, I ballpark. If, if we're going to take ASU out of that, then I ballpark five wins that I'm very confident in um, the three non-cons, uh, Arizona and Colorado. I have. Uh, so if we're going to put USC in the middle tier. I have wins that I'm pretty confident in uh, Stanford just because of our track record against them. Uh, ASU in uh, uh, USC. And there's going to definitely be one more there that I'm missing. Cal, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um and Cal is really more a quirk of where they lie on the schedule. Yeah. Uh, they've done better against them in the after USC game than we did under Mora, where the team just basically took that game off. We've had more attention to those games under Chip than we did under Mora. But at the same time, if they do get 
if they do get just run over by a Lincoln Riley offense, the way that we're speculating is a possibility. Do you really want to get up for that game at that point? I don't know. So that might be a schedule loss in all honesty, because we have talent Cal very, very convincingly. Well, so who doesn't, but yeah, but like my I, general point is that like, I could see a lot of these games going either way. Like a lot of teams, I can usually narrow it down to like, there's a two game swing with UCLA. I feel it's more like there's a four game swing, you know? I will say this. The expectation of the fan base is given that they out-talent Cal, they out-talent Washington this year, they out-talent Stanford. If they don't get to eight and four bare minimum, if not nine and three, there is, most of the people who still are in Chip's corner will bail out of that corner. I really think that's true. Yes. No, I mean, I, I sort of, uh, my perception is getting a little psychological here or run a little long, but I am curious about what your take is. Like, my perception of the UCLA fan base is there's no, like, torch waivers. You know, there's no pitchfork hurlers that, like, if they're disappointed in the season that they will just, you know, be glum about it all summer long um, and will show up for year six of Chip Kelly. Um, um I think that Chip has taken the air enough out of the fan base that that is true. But we also, and it is the truth that fans are just not turning out for him anymore. Um, the three games that fans turned, or sorry, sorry, the four games that fans turned out for last year, they had the LSU game, which spiked attendance the next week against Fresno State, fall flat in that game. Mm. Good Oregon, they have game day come. They run up a lead and then just, you know, fall apart before almost a miracle comeback at the end. And then the ASU game was the other one. And that was just, holy crap, what a shit show in the second half. So he, the fans gave him four leaps of faith and he only validated one of them really. And at that point, when you have fans who are just like, I'm ready to love UCLA again. And 75% of the time they're, uh, it's actually just, you know, like, haha, the jokes on you, like uh, Lucy pulling the football from Charlie Brown (laughs) at some point you stop coming to have that football yank from out, out from under you. Uh, and I feel like that's where the fan base is out right now. You have enough people who are checked out on chip and they vastly out. They are apathetic rather than angry because of they, because they yeah. don't, they saw chip get extended for lack but, of better. But does apathy get a coach fired? No, it like doesn't. I- but but it, what will change is, I know we didn't talk about it. I think the big 10 money changes some stuff because now they're, they should be, more willing to buy him out. His buyout's going to be 4.5 million at the end of next season. And they can have the confidence that they can compete in the upper middle tier of the market, if not the outright top of it. Fair enough. Well, uh, uh, Bruins uh, fans. uh, The other thing I was going to bring up is that we have, we don't wave torches, but we've flown banners before for Steve Alford. So basketball. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, Did Mick Cronin uh, cost them the game against UNC? Yes, because he wouldn't play any. He or he focused on well, the players who couldn't play. I don't. I did not no understand his coaching decisions. Like I, I think that he's instantly a better coach than Alford and the other guy whose name has already escaped me. Uh, there's uh, like, Yeah, there you go. Such an unimpressive run of coaches at UCLA for a long time for like a storied basketball program. He is instantly better than those guys because how could he not be? And yet, like I watched Mick Cronin piss away at least six games over his tenure so far. Like, am I exaggerating? Um. The one that really st- the, the two that stand out to me are the uh, Pac-12 title game against Arizona, where mm-hmm. they went too big and he didn't do anything to counter it, and then uh, the game against UNC, where he just would not put Jalen Clark on the floor or Peyton Watson on the floor to just take Caleb Love out of the game while he was on a heater. Um, he wrote Mick Cronin 
has shown this about him. If nothing else, he is a very good basketball coach, but he is, he has his guys and he will ride them into the ground come hell or high water. It's admirable loyalty, but it is to your detriment when it's not working. And I think that if he kind of sounds like the football coach, uh, uh, better, uh, more, slightly more reasonable than the football coach. The football coach is a better tactician at his best, but he's more self-destructive at his worst. So um, Mick Crone is more of a steady person. Put that on the t-shirt. Yeah, I know. Yeah, trademark that right there. Right. Um, Mick Crone is more of a steady hand. Mick Cronin will always have a very good basketball team, and it's going to take him kind of realizing his own faults for them to have a truly great season. Um, But I have faith that Cronin can be a top of the conference competitor as a coach and keep UCLA at that level. And at that point, if you're bringing in UCLA level talent on the basketball court, there's going to come a year where it just breaks your way that you're going to have the right mix of talent and um, a run in the tournament that something good really happens. It happened a couple of years ago, but that was, and we can all admit that it was amazing, but it was a fluke. Um, When it happens next time, it's going to be because the pieces were methodically put into place. I don't know. Well, like trading Dana Altman for Tom Izzo, like six one. Yeah, you better. Uh, yeah, you're gonna need all that if you're gonna be Big Ten. Champs. But, but I mean, it, coming out of the Big Ten, the fifth place Big Ten team is placing higher than the Pac-12 champion. So I mean, the the trade off is probably more favorable, regardless. Bruins fans, you're super <laughs> lucky to have Michael Amana here because uh, he really knows his stuff. I can tell you that. We are lucky to have invited you on the podcast. Once again, listen to the B-Team podcast. You can find that on Twitter, at UCLA B-Team. Uh, you can find his personal Twitter, at Michael M. Hanna, H-A-N-N-A. And uh, yeah, give that podcast five stars, an Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called nowadays. Uh, leave a comment there. I know that always helps. Uh, Michael, anything else to plug? You've been a great guest. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. You guys asked amazing questions and we got into a level of granularity that I just never expect. So, I mean, I love to nerd out on this kind of stuff. So this was, this was catnip for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, The B team will be coming back with it. We took a little bit of a summer hiatus to kind of refill our passion buckets that uh, Chip Kelly left empty, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, The, but we'll be coming back with an episode shortly to kind of discuss movement within the program. And otherwise, you know, just uh, follow for the snarky tweets, because um, if you want to follow, UCLA fan who likes to dunk on other programs but likes to dunk on his own program harder. I'm the guy. So join me. There you go. That's what our listeners want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Hithliday from Addicted to Quack, as always, it's been a pleasure. This is the final uh, roster review. How do you feel? Uh, it's good. I, this has been an amazing run. I believe it's five straight years in which we have not missed a week. Uh, we always have yeah. great guests. Uh, Michael, this is the first time that we've talked, uh, but it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, and I uh, couldn't imagine going out on a higher note. Yeah. Um, let's see if the Bruins can do that as they uh, go to the new big, shiny conference. Yeah, I'm good. All right. All right. Thanks for coming on, though, Michael. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, whenever you need me, just let me know. Give me a buzz. All right. Go Bruins. Doesn't get out of here. <laughs> Take care, y'all.